If you're new with us today, welcome. My name is David Cassidy, and I'm the pastor here at Spanish River. It's a joy to open God's word with you. And we're in a series on worship, learning what it means to have the great privilege of communion with God, of being people that have access to God's presence, to behold his beauty, and as the psalmist said, to taste and see that the Lord is good. As a community of people, we're learning what it means to savor God's presence, to rejoice in his presence. And we've been learning that worship is, because it is um, being called into God's presence, it is first of all a gift, a grace that God gives us before it is an offering we make. God gives us this grace of worship. And just as he takes the initiative to save us and to cleanse us and to forgive us, he does this because by sprinkling us with the blood of Christ and washing us with the waters of baptism, he makes of us a priestly people. Peter said, you are a, a priestly people. And of course, priests have access then to the Holy of Holies, but the Holy of Holies you and I have been given access to isn't one that's located in Jerusalem, it's one that's in heaven, and uh, so Christ has made the way for you and I to enter, to ascend, to come into God's presence and minister to him. And we thank the Lord for that great grace that's been given to us. So we've been searching that out. And I wanna ask you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 22 as we continue to explore what it means to be a worshiping people. And what I wanna ask us to look at today is the very first time that the word worship occurs in the scriptures. It's here in Genesis 22. Now, it's not the first worship service you would ever see in scripture. Um, you'll see Cain and Abel in a worship moment in, in the book of Genesis as well, much earlier. You'll see Noah. You'll see Abraham building altars to the Lord. These are all described, but it's the very first time the word worship shows up. And it's in this actually, in some ways, exceedingly difficult passage. But here's the thing. Whenever you come across a particular word in the Bible for the very first time, and it's a key word, it has within it the seeds of what will unfold through the rest of the Bible about what it means. So if you find a first mention, it's one of those things that you have to particularly pay attention to. And it'll, it'll help you understand what that concept is about through the whole rest of the Bible. Now this is admittedly, I'm gonna read this with you, and if you've never read it before, it's a strange section of the Bible. Have you ever come across some parts of the Bible you go, whoa, that's weird. That's really strange. There was a series that's been on for a few years now. I watched it for several years, uh, Stranger Things. And there's an upside down world. There's a portal that's opened into it. I was really good for, through the first three seasons, but then it got to the first episode of the new season that came on this year. And I was like, I'm done, I'm out. Cause it was too scary. I don't do scary stuff, mostly cause it's scary. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I just don't do scary. I was terrified. And I, I just thought, yeah, I'm, I think I'm done here. But there's a time, it, 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 it's a story that's based in Hawkins, Indiana, and this portal is opened and, and everything is upside down. And what happens here in Genesis 22 to Abraham, this is late in his life, must have felt to him like an upside down world, where the same God who had spoken to him 
so many years ago in his life and used some of the very same language that's, which is in this passage, which I'll point out to you, and called him out of Mesopotamia and said, I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. And, and then promised him that through his seed, through his, his son, his beloved son, that God would bring the Messiah to the world. He'd bring blessing to all the families of the earth would be blessed through his descendants. And he's got just one. He's got that one son, Isaac, his beloved son. And God's promised that through him, the whole world's gonna be, gonna be blessed. And then God says some very strange words to him, words that we would never expect God to say. Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go. The Hebrew is get going, go, go, it says. Hurry up and go. Your beloved son, this son whom you love, it's a very, Unusual expression there. It's the only time. It's re, well, I'll just put it this way. It's used very rarely in the Old Testament. And it, it is used in the New Testament of Christ where at his baptism, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Same words at the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's, that's where those, those kind of words appear. Take this son whom you love and get going. Get up and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Can you it's hard to imagine, isn't it? And that wouldn't have made any sense. You, you've promised to bring life to the world through this beloved chosen son, and I'm supposed to take this one who I, I love and offer him to, to you, that seems out of character with who you are. But remember the first line, God was doing what with Abraham? He was what? He was testing him. There's a test. There's something that's gonna be revealed in Abraham's heart. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and he went to the place of which the Lord had told him. And on the third day, don't miss that, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Abraham was always someone who could see things from a distance and welcome them. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy... We'll go over there and, here's it, here it is, we will go over there and worship. In the NIV, it says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. We will worship and we will come back to you. Now, God had said, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, go to the place that I will show you and offer him there as what kind of offering? A burnt offering, nothing left but ashes. But Abraham says, we're gonna go over here and worship. We will go and we will come back. We will come back. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering 
and he laid the wood on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went on together. And Isaac, being a discerning boy, said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they walked on together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Yireh. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Would you please open our hearts as we open the text and grant, Lord, that your hand would be with us as we seek to serve you and follow in your ways through Christ our Lord. Amen. So the very first time the word worship ever shows up in the scripture, we note that it's a summons from God. God called Abraham into a place of worship. That's why this worship service began today with a call to worship. You, we just kind of hear that language, stand with us and hear the call to worship. Worship is a divine summons and one of the most radical acts that any person can do today is simply to rise up out of their bed on the Lord's day and identify with God's people publicly and step out of our narcissistic selfishness and come together with a community of sinners and say, I need cleansing, I need healing, I need renewing, I worship the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm one of his people and I will walk in his way. In a society that views the Christian faith with increasing hostility and actually is a source of harm, I think one of the most radical steps, the most radical thing that anybody can do today is to get up on Sunday morning, gather with other people and say, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. And here you all are. You are radical people. I bless the Lord for you. You've been called, you've been summoned together. The same voice that Abraham heard called your heart. Come, let us worship and bow down, it says in Psalm 95. But what did God call him to do? He called him to a place of sacrifice. So the very first thing we learn about worship is that worship is always a sacrifice. That's always been true. It's always been true. Worship is first and foremost always a sacrifice. I have some relatives, wonderful, wonderful folks, and they're uh, great Roman Catholic folks, and uh, a few weeks ago, the bishop of their diocese was in doing special services in their parish, and I have a little boy, and um, the little boy was serving as an altar boy in that service, and the uh, bishop said to him after the service, would you like to become a priest? And he said, I love God, but not that much. 
I think that's where all of us are. I love the Lord, but let's not get carried away with this thing. I love the Lord, but come on now. Abraham, Abraham, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the place that I will show you and offer him up. Take what is most precious and present it to me. You see, people, we offer ourselves in worship. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I urge you therefore by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy what? Sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your, listen to what he said, your reasonable service of worship. The word for reasonable is logical. It's only logical that because God has had mercy on us that we then return to him and we offer our whole lives to him. When Paul says your bodies, he's not, he doesn't mean just that worship is physical. He means the totality of our existence, our spirit, our soul, our body, everything that we are, we offer it to the Lord because he has had mercy on us. The initiative belonged with God. God has had mercy on us and therefore because he has cleansed us, because he has called us, because he has healed us, we come to him and we say, Lord, here am I, just like Abraham said. Here I am, I'm yours. So Abraham has had a journey of faith that began very early. I want you to go to the land that I'll show you. Well, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. That must have been a difficult move. Must have been difficult for Abraham and for Sarah. But they came to this new place and God said, I'm gonna make you fruitful there. And he waited year after year, decade after decade for this one son of promise, Isaac, his Isaac, his beloved son. But because God has had mercy, we offer everything up. We offer up our Isaacs. We offer up our whole lives. Yes, our praise and thanks, these are sacrifices that we make. We stand and we, we say along with the writer of Hebrews, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, that's a sacrifice. He goes on to say, doing good and helping others, sharing what we have with others, Hebrews 13, is a sacrifice that, that God accepts as our worship. You heard Marcus earlier talk about Paul's letter to the Philippians where he talked about how they as a church had ministered to him and sent him resources. And he says, those resources which you sent me are actually worship that God receives. And so while you sent it to me, it was worship that rose. But friends, this gets into the heart of this text because the only reason our worship can rise is because Christ has descended. You see, here's the second thing about worship, true worship. Worship always proclaims the gospel. Worship always proclaims the gospel. Let's look at this. It says that he laid the wood on his son Isaac. You can see him, this young boy. He has the wood for the fire on his back and he's carrying it up a hill. A beloved son with wood on his shoulders walking up a hill. And he turns to his father and says, 
I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's the lamb? And for thousands of years, the question of Isaac is the question of humanity. Where is the lamb? Where's the lamb? And in Abraham's answer is the gospel. God will provide for himself the lamb. Would you say it with me? God will provide for himself the lamb. What an extraordinary statement. He doesn't say, Isaac, God will provide for you or God will provide for me the lamb. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb. Why is that important? Salvation is of the Lord. The offering, the sacrifice for sins to make us right with God is not even, not our initiative, not even the offering for sin is something that comes from us. The offering that saves us, that God commands, there must be a lamb which is sacrificed. The offering that God commands, listen, is the offering that God provides. He will provide for himself. He has commanded that there be a lamb and he will see to it that there is a lamb. And this is why God did not come to us and say, here is my blood of the covenant, where's yours? Jesus sat at the table with his disciples at the Passover and he said, as he passed the cup, this is my blood of the covenant. It was a unilateral covenant. It wasn't a bilateral covenant. He didn't say, what's your part? What are you agreeing to? He didn't negotiate it. He didn't ask us to provide for it. He didn't say, where's your lamb? The lamb was at the table, not on the table. And the lamb came, God came himself to be the offering for our sin. The lamb, the sacrifice that God commanded is the lamb, the sacrifice that God himself became. He became the sacrifice. He himself carried the wood up the hill. You see, it says here in the text that God told him to go to the land of Moriah, to the mountains of Moriah. And in 2 Chronicles 3, it says that the spot that Isaac walked up the hill with the wood is the spot that God said to David and Solomon, build the temple right there. Later in the Bible, this very spot will be the spot where the temple is built. And just outside there, they, they looked at Jesus and the crowd said, crucify him. And they placed on him, the beloved son, the wood of the cross, and he carried it up a hill. And when he carried it up a hill, Peter says he was bearing in his body, not just the cross on his body, but bearing in his body our sins on the cross. All the guilt, all the shame, all of the brokenness of the human race, Christ is bearing there. And that is why in this text, the focus is on the lamb that's provided Abraham lifts the knife and God says, Abraham, Abraham, no, 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 no. 
Look behind you. Look beyond you. And there was a substitute. Friends, we live in a time when the only thing that people think we need saving from is the idea that we need saving. And so we view ourselves as our own creators and our own lawgivers and our own saviors. But there is a lamb at the center of the throne. When John in the book of Revelation heard the voice, come up here, it's the same voice that Abraham heard. He saw the door standing open in heaven and he went up and he saw a throne and there was a throne and the throne right at the center of the throne was the lamb. The lamb is at the center. And friends, what happens when worship proclaims the gospel to us, when we gather together and the word of God is opened and the songs are sung and the prayers are offered and the confessions are made and the absolutions are announced, what we're hearing over and over and over again is the revelation, the announcement of the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world, as Paul says, not counting their trespasses against us. Friends, the job of the church is not to go into the world and tell the world how wrong it is. The job of the church is to go into the world and tell them there is a God who will reconcile them to himself, who will heal their brokenness, who will forgive their sins, who will call them to himself, that being their own gods will not work, sitting on the throne of their own life will only lead to death, that they cannot heal themselves, they cannot save themselves. It is a fruitless endeavor. It is a place that will lead them to death, but there is a savior. There is a savior, there is a lamb, there is a perfect one who has bled and died for them. And that means a return to sanity. When we are at the center of the throne, when we are at the center of the throne, our lives spin out of control. I'll be my own God. I'll make my own rules. I'll make my own way. I will be all that I can be. Earlier in the worship service, you sang, I am who you say that I am. Now, the whole world is singing a song that says, I am who I say that I am. But the Christian knows that all we are are people who bear God's image, an image which has been vandalized by sin, and therefore, we need saving and renewing and restoring. And we confess that. We confess that God must heal us and renew us and restore us. And so like Abraham, he takes us back to Mount Moriah. He takes us to a son, the beloved one walking up a hill. And he asks us to do just one thing. Receive this gift by faith. Worship involves faith. Worship is received. Worship is offered by faith. Faith in the resurrection. Abraham looked, it says, he saw the place on the third day. On the third day. And then it says, he went and he said to the people with him, I and the boy, we will go and worship and we will what? Return. He was going to make a burnt offering. There'd be, there'd be nothing left but ashes. And yet when, when he knew there'd be nothing left of, but ashes, 
he believed that somehow God would raise him from the dead. That's the gospel. Because faith, third day faith, third day faith says that when Christ died on Friday, on the third day, he what? He rose. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead, from the ashes. And you go, well, that's incredible. Friends, if you're a Christian, that's what you believe. You believe that God will raise your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, your parents, your grandparents. You believe that out of the ashes of death, God will on the last day raise us to life. That's what you believe. You say it all the time. You have Abrahamic resurrection faith. Worship proclaims not only the death of Jesus, but the life of Jesus. And the Christ who died is the Christ who lives. And the Christ will come, the same Christ who will come again, and he will split the skies. And the God of Abraham will descend with a shout and say, here am I to all the people who said, here I am. My friend, that day is a day that would strike terror into everyone who doesn't believe. But to all of you who do believe, it is the blessed hope. Blessed are you who long for the return of the Lord and the resurrection of the dead. My friends, the promise of the gospel is not only that your sins are forgiven, but that the grave has been conquered, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so I ask you a question, have you been forgiven? And are you ready for his return? Those are the two most important questions you have to answer today. Do you know you're forgiven? And are you ready for his return? I don't know when he will come. There's people sitting here going, I hope he comes before finals. Man, it's looking bad. We don't know what day he'll come. We don't know. But whether it's a day which is near or a day which is far, there is a day when he will come for each one of us and he will call our name. When I was growing up as a little boy in a bean field in Indiana, we had a community pool. It was called Seaside. You talk about faith, not sight. And on those hot, muggy, beanfield Indiana afternoons, we like to go to the Seaside pool. And you could swim. Parents would just drop you off and let you swim. Parents go do what parents do. Hundreds of kids. You go, well, how'd they find you? Well, there was a person that would come over the speaker. They would call your name and tell you that your mom was there, your dad was there. And you were like, oh, man, man, I was just getting rolling here, man. I got a slide to go down. Because you heard the announcement over the loudspeakers. David Cassidy, it's time for you to go home. Man, I think that's what happens when we die. David Cassidy, it's time for you to go home. I don't know when you're going to hear the announcement. But you'll hear it. And my question is, are you ready for it? Do you know your sins are forgiven? 
Are you ready for Christ to come? God provided the lamb. He provided it. He commanded it. There must be a lamb. And he provided it. He became it. Christ became the lamb and died in our place, the beloved son, so that the knife would not be plunged into our hearts. It fell upon him so that grace might flow into us. And so friends, don't harden your heart. Receive him right now. Say, Jesus, be the lamb in my life. Be on the throne of my life. Help me to know my sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have become the lamb, that worship announces this to us. Whether it's a song or a sermon, whether it's a prayer or a pronouncement, Lord, you are in it and you are revealing yourself as the only one who can save us. And so, O Savior and Redeemer, we bow before you and we ask that for any here who need to know the Lamb, that you would open their hearts to the reality of your blessing and your glory. And we thank you for this. And now, Lord, because you have had mercy on us, we will stand before you and we will lift hands made holy by the blood of Jesus and hearts made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus and minds renewed by the words of Jesus. And we will lift all of this to you in grateful thanks that you are the object of our faith. And it is not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the strength of the Savior who keeps us. And we thank you for this, Lord. Amen.